0: No matter where your business is in Canada, connectivity shouldn't be a concern. Whether your business is rural, remote, or urban, reliable, scalable internet is available to you and your business. Explore Business is expanding our network. With our extensive fiber, fixed wireless, and satellite networks, we're able to bring you the connectivity your business deserves, with the ability to grow right where you are. With investments in fiber and 5G technology, Explore Business is your new choice for business internet. Get connected with Explore Business today. Are you ready to clear a new path? Welcome to Clearing a New Path podcast, a space for the underrepresented voices in rural Canada. I'm your host, Shauna Ray. Each episode, we'll speak authentic truth because it's the truth that connects us. We'll examine issues, solutions, and hope outside of the city limits. Clearing a New Path podcast is an invitation to listen and learn along with me on the road to building a more united, feminist, anti racist rural Canada, one rooted in diversity and driven by reconciliation. Let's learn together, clearing a new path. This topic was brought to me by one of our newsletter subscribers named Ruby. She's concerned that hundreds of wind turbines are moving into an area of eastern Ontario where she and her husband plan to retire. She shared a noise level assessment with me and I did some research into other areas that fought against turbines coming to their area and actually won. Admittedly though, this is not my area of expertise Although I live in rural Ontario and live within driving distance of rows upon rows of wind turbines along Lake Huron and along the 402 highway, and I remember much of the opposition to wind turbines back when Ontario was first toying with the idea of bringing them here, I have not been following it lately. That's why I brought in Chad Walker. He's an assistant professor in the School of Planning at Dalhousie University. He's a researcher and teacher studying the social ramifications of low-carbon energy transitions, including things like wind turbines, wind farms, and social farm development all across Canada and the UK. I don't think this will be the first time we tackle this topic. In fact, I'm hoping to get someone from a conservation authority to talk about how folks have gotten around having the wind turbines come to their area. But uh, that's for another show. Can we start at the beginning, uh, at least for me, uh, how long have we been utilizing wind energy in Canada? And maybe explain, are there different types?
1: Yeah, great question to get things started. So in Canada, kind of the first... Commercial or large-scale uh, wind energy projects date back to around the mid 1990s, um, and in fact, the first commercial wind project was actually developed in Alberta. Um, it really wasn't until about 2008 2009 in in Canada, though, when we saw kind of an explosion of wind energy development uh, and the construction of wind turbines, including in Ontario so brought forward through the green energy act of 2009 the middle of the recession i suppose um the liberal government at the time wanted to spur a kind of green energy economy and a green energy recovery and so they went kind of full speed ahead on providing essentially um, subsidized prices for the development of of wind energy across ontario And, and subsequently we found uh thousands and, and thousands of turbines being built, um, in the next, uh, sort of five years. So it's been now over 10, uh, almost 15 years of, of significant wind energy development, um, across Canada with Al- Ontario originally being the kind of the hub for a lot of development practices. Uh, Ontario has slowed in recent years and, uh, other provinces, uh, including Alberta actually have, um, have really moved, um. Yeah, a lot faster over the last, let's say, five years.
0: I know it seems kind of obvious, but um, what are the best places and conditions for installing and and putting in industrial wind turbines?
1: So, yeah, the best place for installing wind turbines, (laughs) uh, the first factor you need to look at is, of course, the wind resource itself. So it's got to be these projects have got to be built in windy places, which the wind is usually... uh, fairly high in in coastal, in high elevation areas, and also in rural areas, um, and and sometimes remote areas as well. Uh, And rural communities in Ontario and around the world are going to be home to these projects also because of uh, setback distances. So turbines need to be set back, depending on where you're building them, uh, three, four, five or 600 meters away from the nearest, uh, dwelling. So that naturally sort of places wind turbines almost in the exclusive kind of purview of, of rural, um, rural Ontario, rural Canada, um, and, and much of the world as, as well. I
0: tried to look up studies, uh, about the effects of wind turbines on humans. And I know that some research, uh, ha- was done uh, around the time that you're talking about, 2009, 2010, or at least some of that research was looked at uh, because there was a big, you know, controversy, I would say. People didn't want uh, wind turbines in their communities. And so there had to be proof that there was a benefit uh, and that it wouldn't be affecting, have adverse effects on human beings close to wind turbines. So can you tell us about some of uh, the research?
1: Kind of ever since wind turbines got built uh, at at the commercial scale, as I said, in about 2009, 2010 in Ontario, there have been claims of of health effects for those living nearby. And and at the time, and, and partly because great health studies take a long time to do. There really was a lot of uncertainty regarding the actual health impacts. And, and there were kind of a, a you know some studies from, from across Europe and some anecdotal, largely sort of non-peer-reviewed studies in the early stages that were, were suggesting um, an association between the proximity to wind turbines and health impacts. Um, but really the more peer-reviewed, higher quality studies years after that, including um, from about 2013 to 14, Health Canada commissioned, um, you know, a multi-million dollar study looking at the health impacts that uh, wind turbines may introduce into communities. And uh, the major sort of findings from that work, which I regard as kind of the best quality health research out there, uh, suggested that Annoyance was associated with um, proximity or, or wind turbine noise, um, but not other health outcomes, as as, as some would kind of suggest. A, a similar conclusion that's come out of some of my work was that policy-related forces and perhaps even existing community relations act as sort of mediators to promoting uh, kind of experiences of annoyance and unhappiness and opposition to wind turbines, which which in and of themselves can kind of breed negative health problems or, or psychosomatic health issues at times. Um, and so that's largely what the literature uh, that I'm familiar with is, is sort of pointing to, an indirect health impact from wind turbines. So it's, it's not the the proximity to the turbines themselves, or, or not necessarily even the noise themselves, except the noise causes, um, and the presence of wind turbines causes annoyance, which then leads to you know lower levels of, of health and well-being. But that often doesn't need to be the case. And this is where my work kind of comes in to understand the issue, is that we can look to different kinds of development models. So Ontario largely had a top-down, developer-led, sort of model of, of wind energy development that disregarded communities' rights, voices, um, and often the the concentration of benefits lay largely um, far outside local communities in which we argue in a lot of our work that's what breeds strong opposition to wind turbines and strong annoyance to their, their presence in their community. Rightfully so, right? Um, but this can be addressed through more community- based initiatives, more community ownership uh, schemes and opportunities for people to get involved and see wind turbines as um, you know, a source of income, a source of benefit, a source of pride rather than um, annoyance, like I was mentioning earlier.
0: That's really interesting, actually. i I think that's brilliant, including the community and and using um, wind powered energy, as a source of income for the community itself, perhaps a municipality or a county, so that everyone sees the benefit and, and is invested in it rather than uh, thinking, like you say, that it's a nuisance. Because I think you're right. I, it's anxiety. It has a lot to do with the anxiety. I know that uh, the, the folks that I've been talking to are complaining that the decibel levels or the, the the noise levels are close to the limits. If you think about, for instance, if you lived in a downtown core and you lived in an area where it was close to somewhere that had live music on the weekends, you live there, but this restaurant has decided to put in live music, and the noise level is quite uh loud, but the economic benefit to people being spending money there and all of those things might be great, but to the people who live close, it's a nuisance, even if the decibel levels are acceptable, quote unquote. So it's brilliant to think about and, and, and be that innovative in how to involve the community in wind energy. Often, is it a, a question of the positives outweighing the negatives? And can it sometimes be a political issue? I I feel like it it can really be a political issue sometimes.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I think probably, depending on the situation and the context, probably I could answer yes to both of those things. I think we all, you know, whether we want to support a local development in our community, whether we live in an urban center or a remote community community there always is this question of cost benefit analysis running through our head, right? Even if we don't write all these numbers down and make a pros and cons list or whatever you you might do, uh, we do kind of naturally kind of weigh the positives with the negatives, right? Um, And it it might be the case of of one extremely bad negative kind of overpowering all sorts of other kinds of, of positive, right, or the other way around, right? But it also can be a political issue. And actually, we've done some research on this this very issue of, of looking at kind of political affiliation and uh, issues of partisanship in shaping support for wind energy development in Ontario and Nova Scotia. More specifically, we've looked at the comparison between the ways in which wind energy was rolled out in Ontario versus Nova Scotia. And one of the big differences... We see and and we hear from local residents, we hear from politicians, we hear from developers, is that a lot of the opposition to wind energy in Ontario was kind of uh, you know ramped up, kind of catalyzed through uh, partisanship and and through politics, really. So going back to 2009 in Ontario, the Liberals held a majority uh, in, in provincial parliament and in you know the subsequent elections dating back to 2018 now uh we've gone from a liberal majority to a conservative majority and a lot of this kind of difference we see has been really made up in rural ontario right rural ontario hasn't always been blue it hasn't always been conservative going back to the kind of the mcginty government in fact much of ontario uh rural ontario was kind of more left leaning or, or more liberal. But we found that the Conservative government of Ontario, Conservative Party of Ontario, ran on very much a, an anti green energy, anti wind energy platform. And that held traction and that really worked in rural Ontario, in part because of the very top down, sort of technocratic, developer led uh, wind energy development policy initiated by the Green Energy Act primarily. The difference we see in Ontario or in Nova Scotia, where support for wind energy is three times higher, is is in fact that the conservative government of Nova Scotia brought in wind energy in the first place. So they were the first party in power to sort of chart a path toward rolling out large-scale wind turbines. And, And we found that it was very difficult for subsequent NDP and Liberal parties of Nova Scotia to basically object to uh, green energy initiatives and and action on climate change. And so in Nova Scotia, wind energy hasn't become a partisan issue nearly as much um, as we see in Ontario, where being conservative, being a liberal really has a huge impact on how you see wind turbines at the provincial level and and certainly locally as well. So to answer your broader question, yes, it's very much a, uh, it can be kind of a a cost benefit or or positive negative kind of calculation in, in everyone's head. But partisanship and politics, like many issues,
0: I guess the bottom line for me, as I'm listening to you and, and, you know, we're talking about how political it's been, we're, we're talking about, you know, it's a, it's a very young, uh, energy source. And, um, in such a short time, it's been very politicized. So is it safe? I mean, I think that's all people want to know is, is it safe? And, and should, I'd be concerned if I know there's like 600 wind turbines coming into where I'm living and, you know, what are the benefits? Because as much as, as you know, we can talk about how uh, positive and green and climate conscious these structures are, are they safe? for people to live around them they don't trust politicians they don't tr- trust industry what can they trust when it comes to the effects it's going to have on them
1: yeah that's a that's a really really good question and and one i think i have difficulty answering with 100 percent certainty right because i don't live near wind turbines and you know despite my kind of reading and experience and expertise in this literature. Um, I still don't think I'm in a position to say, you know, to dispute someone's daily life experience, um, whatever that may be, right? Um, whether that's living beside, you know, a toxic waste facility or, or or wind turbines or what have you. And so, yeah, I do have a difficult time kind of arguing a hard no against whether or not, um, you know, the various effects, including annoyances and and... Certainly, opposition to, to wind turbines. What are the sources of, of that? Um, what I can say is, is certainly the literature, including the literature that I'm engaged with, does point to better outcomes, so lower experiences of, of health effects or lower perceptions of health effects, less annoyance, less opposition under development models that do respect communities and, and do put communities in the driver's seat, as it were, and and making decisions, having the autonomy, having the sovereignty to kind of be in charge of your energy future, whatever that looks like, right? And people are much more supportive of local projects when they're the ones, you know, with the decision-making power themselves, and, and not only decision-making power, which we call procedural justice in, in the academic literature, and, and much of my work kind of engages with that, but also, the local benefits that result from these, these projects. So there's no disputing that there, there will be for some people, some negative impacts, including if it's just, you know, a viewscape, maybe you've moved to a rural part of Canada, uh, for the view over the water or the view over agricultural land. And that's being disrupted, right? That's being changed at least through the introduction of, of wind turbines. Um, but, are the benefits outweighing those kinds of risks. And and those kind of cost benefit calculations really can only be done at the individual level, but giving people an opportunity to own, invest in benefit from uh, these kinds of projects can certainly kind of tip the scales of, of cost benefit analysis at times, right? And our research has shown this again, going back to this Nova Scotia, Ontario comparison, there was higher levels of both procedural justice and distributive justice in um, Ontario in Nova Scotia compared with Ontario, which we can, we can directly kind of connect back to the ways in which turbines are built. Nova Scotia largely developed wind turbines through uh, their community feed-in tariff program, and Ontario largely through their feed-in tariff program. So the difference, of course, is that one very important word, community out front there, that led to more community-based projects really in Nova Scotia Um, an important element too I think in Ontario when it comes to health effects is certainly that policy was set up in a way so the the Green Energy Act was set up in a way that opposition to wind and the refusal of wind turbines uh, to be built and wind farms to be built could only be done on two grounds so serious and irreversible effects uh, to the environment, so largely we're talking the local environment, or uh, serious health uh, effects, right? And so, I think that provision in the Green Energy Act certainly sort of galvanized uh, and, and promoted kind of wind energy or, or um, health impacts and health impact concerns in Ontario, right? Because you couldn't you couldn't go to uh, you know, environmental environment, environmental review tribunals, ERTs, and say you don't like the view that's been changed because of wind turbines. You don't like the way they look. You don't like, you know, how expensive they are to build. Um, those kind of concerns would be tossed out. But if you went to them with serious uh, health effects and, and claims of, of health problems that you're experiencing, uh, people would listen. It doesn't these decisions weren't overturned um, ever, I don't believe, on the grounds of, of wind uh, or on the grounds of health problems. They were overturned in one case, in the case of uh, environmental concerns. Um, but that, I think, was a unique provision in, in the Green Energy Act. And that was brought forward by Dalton McGuinty at the time, leader of the Liberals, who essentially some of your, your listeners may be familiar with this concept of NIMBY or not in my backyard. Dalton was famous. For saying he brought in the Green Energy Act and this provision, this environment health provision in the Green Energy Act to specifically prevent NIMBY opposition and prevent the kind of uh, opposition he deemed to not be be credible, but in doing so, I think he also promoted and and told people, you know, uh, you should be concerned about health problems, kind of thing, and and we'll listen if you have health problems.
0: The industry, so wind turbine industry perhaps has been a lucrative one at least in ontario the giant wind turbines that we see along lake huron uh you know you can drive and 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 see many many you know side by side and they're massive and i wonder if there's any alternatives um you know and and what would be hindering the progress of coming up with a better solution that isn't as noisy or isn't as massive
1: great question so in terms of alternatives to kind of industrial wind turbines as, as we see them in ontario today if, if we stay within the wind energy realm we do see that wind turbines are getting larger and larger almost every year right and um in part because they become more powerful, they can power more homes, they can generate more power. So all of that is a good thing. But obviously, if you're living right beside them, maybe that isn't so much of a great thing. What you can do, though, when these turbines get larger and the capacity gets larger is, you know, assuming you still want the same amount of power output, let's say you can position them further away from homes, right? So a four megawatt turbine, you know, you'll need half as many of them, Compared to two megawatt turbines that were were very popular, kind of 2010, 11. Now we're getting larger and larger. The other, of course, recent development that we don't see in Canada as of yet, but it looks like we will quite shortly, actually, in in my new home in Nova Scotia, is offshore wind turbines. So placing again much larger wind turbines, capacities you know of of well over four or five megawatts, sometimes into well, lakes or in in the case of Nova Scotia, um, the ocean where wind turbine or wind speeds are much higher and more constant, right? So that's better green energy. And on uh, at least on the issue of social opposition, depending on how far these are away from the coast and how many people can see them and and so forth, largely there's the prospect for less opposition to these sorts of, of projects. So that's kind of the big alternative, I would say, and that's where Ontario or where Canada will be going shortly and, and Europe uh, and in particular the UK is is kind of charting a path towards offshore wind, um, partly, I, I think, because of this issue of social opposition. But uh, staying within green energy, uh, you know, 10, 12 years ago, the cost of solar energy was much higher than it is today. Solar energy has... Uh, dropped in price much, much faster than wind has over the past five years in particular. Um, so if we stay in the realm of green energy, solar energy, um, which can be placed in both rural, urban, suburban, any place, right? If you have a rooftop and some sun, or you have you know a field um, and decent amount of sun, you can place solar panels there as well. So that's going to be increasingly an alternative moving forward. It's not to say wind energy is going anywhere soon. The cost of wind energy is, is, is so low right now and, and continuing to drop that wind energy, particularly in windy areas, uh, are, are going to continue to be built. But there are alternatives. And our, our work and, and my work in particular does kind of promote and tries to suggest uh, you know, community choice, community autonomy moving forward um, in, in green energy plans and energy plans sort of uh, more broadly. So it, it could incorporate solar, could incorporate wind. Um, you know, th- these, these things need to be built. We need to lower emissions um, across Canada, uh, you know, Alberta, Nova Scotia being two provinces in particular that a lot of emissions do still come from uh, the electricity sector. And to address climate change as a country, we need to kind of continue to build green energy there Ontario is in a, a more favorable favorable position because of our reliance on nuclear and hydro to a large degree so so I guess there's less tremendous need there but at the same time I do hear about the rise and, and sort of the comeback of more gas plants uh, in Ontario as well so so green energy certainly has a role in um, in many places across the world and and across Canada. But yeah, we can look at alternatives. We can look at different sorts of development models, um, and to really, you know, address all issues of sustainability. So environment, economy, and society. Um, and I think oftentimes the problem with, with the development of wind energy is that we're too often focused solely on, uh, the environment and the economy, um, to the detriment, I think of kind of this, uh, the social aspect. And, and when I say social aspect, I mean rural communities um, in Ontario and, and across Canada.
0: I'm sorry that I didn't ask this sooner, but do you have an example of, of a community that's already taken that, quote, community approach? Like, are there uh, communities that have been studied or, or that have, um, you know, ex- are experimenting with um, bringing the community in Canada?
1: Yes. Yeah, so there's there's many communities in 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 Canada, less so really in Ontario. Um, I would say the best kinds of examples, you know, I'll refer back to, I guess, uh, the study of Nova Scotia that I've, that I've done under their community feed in tariff program where there were many communities, uh, that, you know, either partnered with or invested heavily to become uh, majority owners of a project. So a lot of these projects would be 51% owned by, um, by a local community through investment uh, opportunities that oftentimes the locals themselves pitched in some money and and became ownership. But they also developed with and leaned on the expertise of other, uh, of more traditional sort of developers, right? So Natural Forces is a developer out in Nova Scotia, and they've been a partner on a lot of these sort of community-led projects. Another great example, I think, of a community-led initiative can be found in Nova Scotia. So Nova Scotia, um, or sorry, New Brunswick. New Brunswick rolled out a, a policy program about five, maybe six years ago now that specifically asked for uh, First Nations in the province to, to basically put in applications to be majority owners of, of wind energy projects. Um, and one community... I've worked with in the past. Actually, Tobik First Nation became majority owners um, of a of a large scale wind energy project, um, and and their leadership on that has been, yeah, nothing short of inspirational. And the benefits that their community is now seeing, uh, financial and otherwise, from really leading on that project, um, are yeah, just absolutely. Really important, I guess, to their long term goals and their medium term goals in terms of filling, uh, you know, um, sort of funding gaps in their community and and building new homes and and so forth. And so um, and that's where we can look to a lot of inspiration, I think, you know, rural Canada and and remote Canada, even in non-Indigenous communities can look to the leadership of Indigenous communities like Tobik in, in terms of charting a way forward that is that is beneficial for the environment for the economy but also the local communities themselves
0: the cost of energy as you were talking about that i was thinking i wonder what is the cost savings of having a wind turbine or a solar um you know i i don't even know how it works because i've never investigated that for my like my own home i i do live rurally um and i i wonder you know what is the cost savings? I you I, I guess you know you pay for for the equipment up front. I I I don't know how it works with a wind turbine. How how what's the benefit to the consumer, like to the community, as far as the um the the cost?
1: Yeah, so I guess a uh, a disclaimer: this uh, I'm not an economist, and and kind of the cost of of wind energy and other green energies is not my primary ex- area of expertise. Um, but what I can say is, is certainly we've seen a strong and, and pretty steady decrease um, in the cost of wind energy and um, and solar, as I mentioned previously, over the past 10 to 15 years. We're now at the point where in most places in the world, the development of green energy, like wind and, and solar, is now the, the lowest cost Energy source that you can that you can possibly build. So, I know in Alberta, who who have recently rolled out green energy under competitive reverse auction style uh, procurement processes, instead of Ontario, which back in two thousand nine and and the years that followed, the Ontario government under the Liberals rolled out um, the feed in tariff program, which guaranteed very high prices. For wind energy and, and solar energy to anyone that wanted to build it, right? And at that time, some of that was needed to spur investment and to, to spur kind of development in Ontario. Um, it's it's certainly not needed now because of the costs that have gone down. Um, the cost of Al- in Alberta, I know wind energy dipped under four cents per kilowatt hour. And so that measure I think should make a lot of sense to a lot of people listening because we probably all look at our at our um, electricity bills every month right and we see um you know even in in off-peak times we're paying about seven cents per kilowatt um, hour on peak somewhere around 17 maybe if, if you're like me or, or 20 cents per kilowatt hour um, and we see of course that this this cost of let's say 3.7 like we see in Alberta uh, four or five cents depending on other sort of uh, places you go around the world is much lower than this 7 15 20 cents an hour right and so and the cost of wind and the sun will continue to be free you know forever so um, technologies will improve though and I I can see this dipping, even lower and lower in subsequent years, especially in offshore contexts where, as I said, wind is gonna be more constant, it's gonna be more consistent, it's gonna be stronger. That, I think, is one of the key problems in Ontario is that there's still this association with of green energy and of wind energy in particular as being really, really high costs, right? Um, I think when wind energy first rolled out It it was well over, let's say, four cents per kilowatt hour that we can kind of get it for now. Uh, And I believe solar at one point was 80 cents per kilowatt hour. So these kinds of numbers, I think, are still in people's heads, despite the fact that um, these kind of technologies have improved so much that the cost is, is now, as I mentioned off the top there, really the lowest cost new form of energy that you can provide. Certainly lower cost than, than nuclear, uh, lower cost than, than, than gas. Um, the only other strong competitor, um, from my view, is, is really hydro in a lot of contexts. Hydro is still still very cheap, um, but that's it's increasingly becoming difficult to build more and more of that in Ontario. And there, there's problems associated with the building of hydro, including uh, those associated with indigenous rights and indigenous land of which much of hydro in Canada has been formed out of really the theft of land from indigenous communities, um, including Tobik First Nation, actually a community I, I do work with had a dam built in their community that flooded uh, parts of their community and, and their, their land. So yeah, that's all to say that really uh, the future of green energy is is not only green and going to help us address climate change goals, but it's also going to be increasingly low cost. Of course, there is the big problem with hydro or or with um, solar and wind is, of course, is that it's intermittent. And so there's a cost obviously associated with that as well. You need to find a way to to use energy as it's being uh, generated, or increasingly you need to find a way to store it in things like batteries or, or hydro reservoirs and, or things like that. And um, so that's adds a bit of the cost, but the cost of those kinds of storage technologies and stuff are, are coming down as well. So, so we're soon to see a world in where increasingly renewables like wind and solar work alongside local storage options. And that's where a lot of my work at at Dalhousie is really centered on what we're calling smart grids or, or smart local energy systems and how these can, can work together to to lower prices, to lower emissions and leave ultimately more benefits in the hands of local communities that are actually kind of hosting these, these uh, systems.
0: Chad, I think that's a great place to end. Thank you so much for your time. And, and of course your expertise. Um, I, I've learned a lot myself and, uh, I'm excited to see what you're gonna be doing in the future.
1: <laughs> yeah, thank you so much, Sean. Yeah, that was a lot of fun.
0: Wanna keep the conversation going? Subscribe to the Clearing a New Path newsletter. Drop me an email, follow the podcast on social media, and or you can leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. Clearing a New Path Podcast artwork is supported by the graphic design of Katie Wilhelm in the music branding is by The Hankering Studio. The podcast is produced by Radar Media in Thames Center, Ontario. It is the traditional territory of the Anishinaabe, Haudenosaunee, and Mississauga or neutral peoples who once used this land as their traditional beaver hunting grounds. The First Nations communities closest to the studio are Chippewa of the Thames First Nation, Oneida Nation of the Thames, Muncie, Delaware First Nation, in the Chippewas of Kettle and Stony Point. I will speak to many more people across Turtle Island this season, and as a settler here, I'm committed to deepening understanding of colonialism, the TRC's calls to action, and to reframing responsibilities to land and community. I am grateful to Mother Earth and Creator for the opportunity for love and connection. Into the spirits of the elders and the medicine people who still walk the earth. Until next time,